Welcome to our look at 2 Corinthians chapter 10. This is day one of our look through this chapter. We're going to look at verses 1 to 4 today. And as we look through this chapter, we're going to be looking together at what I would call a cure for criticism. You've heard the phrase, everybody's a critic. And you know why? Because it's easy. It's easy to be a critic. You don't have to work at it. You don't have to do anything. It's the lazy thing to do. And the truth of the matter is, oftentimes, critics are popular. People love to listen to criticism. It makes them feel better about themselves. People love to listen to criticism because it helps us to set aside some of our own bad feelings about ourselves. Critics are popular, and critics are also secure. They're always going to have a job because people always love to listen to critics. And also, critics are secure because they're getting people to focus on other people's problems instead of looking at their own problems. But don't forget this. Critics are extremely dangerous. They can keep God's work from happening. They can discourage God's work in your own life. Now, the truth of the matter is God's servants, and 2 Corinthians is a servant survival guide, God's servants inevitably face criticism. So how do you survive it? Paul faced criticism. Chapter 10 adds to the truth of what we've been seeing all through this book, that he faced criticism over things like his past, the way he had come to know Christ and what that meant. He faced criticism over things like even his appearance. <laughs> There's one early book about the Apostle Paul, sort of a fantasy book, but it has this description of Paul in it. He was a man, quote, of small stature with meeting eyebrows, bald or shaved head, bow-legged, strongly built, hollow-eyed, with a large crooked nose, unquote. <laughs> Criticism comes at all angles and in all ways. And sometimes people even criticize silly things like your appearance. His letters were criticized the way that he wrote. By the way, those letters were inspired by the Holy Spirit. So even the most inspired thing that Paul ever did was criticized. Never think that because it's criticized, it means that God's not in it. Oftentimes, the fact that it's criticized means that God's right in the middle of it. Not always, but oftentimes it does. Paul was also criticized for his meekness. He expressed gentleness in the circumstances and situations he was facing. And as Paul walks through the criticism he was facing, this chapter is filled with wonderful advice from God's Word, wonderful truth from God's Word about what to do when criticism comes. In some ways, as people outline the book of 2 Corinthians, this begins the third major section of 2 Corinthians. First major section is Paul explains his ministry. That's chapter 1 through chapter 7. The second section is Paul encourages their generosity. That's chapters 8 and 9. And the third major section is Paul enforces his authority. That's chapters 10 to 13. So chapter 10, what does he have to say? It begins in verse 1, and let me read through verse 4. By the meekness and gentleness of Christ, I appeal to you. I, Paul, who am timid when face to face with you, but bold when away, I beg you, that when I come, I may not have to be as bold as I expect to be towards some people who think that we live by the standards of this world. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. Now, as we walk through this chapter this week, we're going to see four specific ways that you and I can handle criticism in our lives in a way that points people to God instead of points us to one another to argue with each other. And the first truth is this. you got to choose your weapons wisely. Choose your weapons wisely. Now, the critics' weapons, or Paul says here, the weapons of the world, their weapons are deceit and conceit. Deceit lies about others, and conceit lies about yourself. 
That's how you wage war when you're waging on the world's battleground. But those are the wrong kinds of weapons. Those kinds of weapons only lead to pride, only lead to lies, only lead to the breaking up of relationships. And Paul says, I'm not going to fight that way. He says, although I live in this world, I do not wage war as the world does. In fact, he is so intent on us understanding this, he says it again. The weapons we fight with, he says, are not the weapons of this world. So what are the weapons of Christ? How do we fight in a different way? Well, he talks about two specific things here. He talks about gentleness and meekness, and he talks about the divine power to demolish strongholds. First, gentleness and meekness. He says, I fight with the gentleness and the meekness of Christ. Meekness, gentleness, In a nuclear power world, those don't sound like very powerful weapons, but those are the weapons that you and I need in order to deal with criticism. If you deal with a critic by attacking back, they have won the spiritual battle already. Oh, you might seem to win in the moment. What you say might seem to be sharper than what they said. It might put them down and silence them in the moment but it doesn't invite them to faith. It doesn't invite them to change. It doesn't invite the circumstance to faith and change. You can win, but at the same time lose. If you want to win the spiritual battle, you got to act like Jesus acted. you got to act with meekness and gentleness. When you do that, you are modeling trust in God's power. And so Paul, in meekness and gentleness, kept pointing people to Christ, kept pointing people to God, kept saying, I'm not the most important one here. Christ is the most important one here. That's meekness. That's gentleness. I read a while back this from the founder of one of London's greatest, largest department stores about real leaders versus prideful bosses. It's the difference between meekness and gentleness. The leader, he says, let's go. The boss says, you go. The boss knows how, but the real leader shows how. The selfish boss inspires fear, but the real leader inspires people. Someone who's just a selfish boss fixes the blame, but the leader fixes the problem. The selfishness of a boss can say I, but the spiritual leader says we. So how are you going to deal with criticism? Is it going to be with personal power, or is it going to be with meekness and gentleness? Are you going to fight with the weapons of this world, or are you going to fight with the weapons of Christ? That's the choice we have to make. And the weapons of this world might have a more immediate result, But the end result is pushing people toward pride and pushing people apart. The weapons of Christ, they may take longer to work, but the end result is inviting people to faith and inviting an organization to change and do things differently than it ever has before. The weapons of Christ, first meekness and gentleness. And then Paul says there's a second weapon, and that is the divine power to demolish strongholds. Paul's weapon was God's power. Because he was able to see this as a spiritual battle and not just a personal battle, what they had against him, Paul was able to call upon this spiritual power. And he says, the weapons of Christ, we've got this divine power to demolish, and he says the word strongholds. Now, what is that? What is a stronghold? A stronghold is a place that is hard to defeat. In his day, people understood it very well. It was a walled city that would be up against a cliff that would be very difficult to attack, very difficult to defeat. In your life, it's a place of sin, it's a place of pride that is difficult to defeat. 
It's that sinful habit that just continues on and on in your life. You can't seem to defeat it. It's that pride that wells up in you, and it just seems to keep welling up in you. It creates anger. It creates jealousy again and again and again and again in your life, and you can't seem to defeat it. As a new believer, you'll find there are some things in your life as a new believer that immediately you stop doing, but there are a few other places in your life. These are the strongholds, these things that you're going to battle with the rest of your life as a believer. So how do you defeat a stronghold? Well, let me just picture it as this walled city that somehow you're trying to come against. And it seems like it's so strong that it just has a strength that's in and of itself you cannot defeat. When you came against a walled city in ancient days, there were three things you had to do. And it applies also to how you and I defeat strongholds in our lives, the stronghold of a sin, of a pride in our lives, of a jealousy, of an unforgiveness. In that day, the three things you had to do to defeat a walled city, too strong for you to to defeat, was you had to surround it, you had to starve it, and you had to secure it. You had to surround it, get a lot of people around it. You had to starve it, make sure that food and water didn't get in so the people became weak. And then once they became weak enough, you had to secure it. You had to go in and take the city with your own forces so that now you owned it. Same thing we have to do in our spiritual lives. How do you deal with a sin that just keeps coming up again and again in your life, a jealousy that you can't let go of, a forgiveness that you cannot seem to grasp? First, you surround it. And you surround it with people, with prayer, and with promises. The people of God encouraging you, prayers of God supporting you, promises of God giving you power. Second thing you do is you starve it. You starve that sin by running away from that sin and instead pursuing the godly alternative. Don't let yourself be anywhere where that sin happens. The minute you sense temptation, go somewhere else. Go somewhere else that's right. Don't be around the kinds of circumstances that allow that sin or that jealousy or that temptation to be said yes to in your life. You starve it. And then you secure it. Once you've starved it, once it's begun to drop off in your life, the way you secure a victory in that area is by praying for and serving others who are struggling with the same sin. You're not facing this alone. Others are facing the same thing. So you begin to help others. And we're going to talk about this more tomorrow, but let me just end by saying this. Strongholds are bolstered by willpower, but they are demolished by divine power. As long as you try harder and harder to defeat that stronghold, it just gets stronger because you're using human weapons and it just makes it stronger and stronger. The resistance just comes stronger. You need God's weapons a different way of dealing with it. And we're going to take a deeper look at that as we look at how to demolish strongholds tomorrow. Our Father, as we end this day, we pray that you'd help us to fight with your weapons and not the world's weapons. It's easy for us to choose lies and deceit. It's easy for us to choose pride and a personal conceit in our lives. We don't want that. We want to choose meekness and gentleness, but we need you, Jesus, to do that. We want to choose divine power to demolish strongholds rather than depending on our willpower. So Jesus, would you begin to do a miracle in us? Start something new in us. Help us to see this situation that we're facing right now in a new way. We need your strength and power. We ask for it humbly. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.